Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. And do you release this via video or is it all just audio? Yeah, I usually do audio, um, but we so we save our videos because um, we're going to release them out now. We've just been waiting to get them all edited and cool. whatnot. So yeah, cool. Yep, awesome. All right, all right. <clears throat> Let's kick it. Three, two, one. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. We have an amazing guest today. His name is Mauricio Raud. What's going on? What's going on, man? It's good to, uh, good to meet you. It is great to meet you, too. Finally, I've heard yeah. so much about you throughout you know, all of my network. I've been going to these Rod Khalif events, and I know these guys have heard about it. In, uh, and every single investor that I talk to, they're like, oh, you got to be Mauricio. You got to be Mauricio. I'm like, oh, I made it happen, so yeah, here it is. That. Yeah, I like to pass out a lot of $20 bills to, to make them say nice things about me, but uh, no, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good, man. Your your reputation precedes yourself, and uh, and for guys that you don't know, Mauricio, he is an attorney, and he's a legend, all right? This guy is awesome when it comes to syndications and multifamily, so we're going to get into a little bit of that, uh, maybe into the weeds for, for some folks that maybe you know, uh, aren't as interested in this, but for those that are, I know you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. So Mauricio, really appreciate your, uh, you coming onto the show and helping our vets out and understanding some of the legal challenges that they'll face in real estate. No, happy to do it. And glad. thanks for inviting me and looking forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. So do you mind giving us a little background on yourself and how you got started? Uh, maybe if you've invested in some of your investments, you want to give us a small little brief. And Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm originally from Santiago, Chile, actually. And I, I, I've been here now, came when I was a kid, uh, 31 years ago now, and uh, did my undergrad at UC Berkeley up in Northern Cal. And then uh, did, you know, went to law school in LA and then kind of did what every law student dreams of doing, which is I went to work for a big law firm basically just uh, kind of doing that and uh, did securities work, uh, but I did litigation, right? So my, my main thing was, you know, I represented, you know, Merrill Lynch's of the world, all these securities guys, JP Morgan's, you know, Prudential, but I was a lit litigator. So I was a defense attorney. So I got involved really when the, you know, what hit the fan, right? These guys got sued and then I'd go through the whole process of responding and doing depositions and motions and trials and appeals and all that great stuff. Um, and it was a great firm to work at, um, but you know, I, I'd find myself literally getting up every morning and you know, getting in the shower, getting in my car, driving to work, working all day, working all night, heading back home, you know, watching a little TV, going to bed, and then doing it all over again. And I just knew there was something better to do, or that I'm like, this can't be it, man. There's got to be something else. And and um, what I was lucky enough to come across this amazing book, a little purple book, which I'm sure you, you and your listeners have read, uh, oh, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yep. Uh, and I just blew me away, right? I was, I was actually on a flight back from the East Coast, and I'm reading this book, and I'm like, you know, it's all about context, right? And I'm now looking at it later, there's not really that much content in there, but it's just mindset. And I was just like, yes, yes, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's more. Yes, yeah. So it was, it was crazy. And so that really kind of blew my mind away and opened my my eyes a little bit. And, and that really is really actually pretty cool because that book, literally about two weeks after I read that book and I was still kind of glowing from reading it, 
uh, I heard him on the radio. I was driving my car in Southern California, and I heard a drop-in for the real estate guys, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with them, but I've been involved with them for many, many years. And and it was a, a drop-in for them. And it was literally, you know, hey, this is Robert Kiyosaki, you know, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're interested in real estate, you know, check out the real estate guys. They really know what they're talking about. That's what kind of prompted me to go meet these guys and prompted me to leave my corporate job as a law, at a law firm and went in-house. So I worked uh, as a general counsel for those guys, for Robert and Russ, and did all their syndications, all their asset protection, and did that for many, many years. And then at some point, they have a huge following and ended up helping some of their members and kind of turned into my own little side business, which eventually grew into Premier Law Group, which, uh, which I founded back in 2006. So uh, that's kind of all started. I obviously opened my own firm at that point, kept the real estate guys as my kind of a VIP client, but that's kind of what I've done. And, and literally probably now eight or nine years ago, I decided to just go full on syndication. So as it stands right now, a hundred percent of my practice is syndication. A hundred percent of my clients are real estate investors. Um, I don't, I've done a couple of wacky, you know, cryptocurrency funds and kind of stock market things, but they're all real estate investors that sometimes get astray. Wow. Okay. Um, that's my entire practice, man. That's all I do is I live in the syndication world. And so I basically, most of my clients are multifamily investors, but they're basically raising capital. Most of my clients, uh, probably as many of your listeners are, they started off in single family home investing, kind of did the onesies and twosies. And then at some point they realize, Hey, I want to go do bigger things, scale a little faster, and that typically involves raising money. And once you start raising money, that's when you need somebody like me. Yeah, man, that is that's huge, and and that's one of the things I hope we're going to get into here uh, in the weeds on because this idea of raising capital, right, and trying to scale your business, uh, it's huge. You know, I mean, businesses do it, right? Obviously, real estate investors do it. Uh, and this is how you really start to to grow um, yourself, but you got to follow the rules, right? And if you don't, yep, you have to follow the rules. And, and a lot of people ask me, especially if they're just starting out, that you know, the question that I get a lot is like, you know, why is why is why is the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, why are they involved in my business? Like, I'm just buying real estate. Like, why in the world is do I have to worry about the SEC and why are these like security lawyers and you know all this stuff and it's a great question, and what people need to realize, and, and a lot of people don't, and I see this a lot on the forums that I'm going in there, is, is the definition of a security is really broad. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us think of securities as stocks and bonds and mutual funds and you know, all that kind of stuff, and that's, right. that's true. But securities also include things like profit sharing agreements, you know, side contracts. I always joke, high fives, handshakes. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Anytime you take money from someone, where the profits are generated by your efforts, you are dealing with a security. So when you have passive investors where you're doing all the work, you're active and your investors are passive, you are actually selling a security. And again, I don't care if you're trying to get around it by doing a TIC agreement, maybe a tenant in common where everybody directly owns, or you're trying to do a side contract. Or the, the structure itself doesn't matter. Right. Uh, anytime you have passive investors, you are dealing with a security, which means now we have to comply with these federal and state securities laws. And that's where, where I come into play because they do get a little bit tricky. Yeah, no, it's, this is huge. And so, and a lot of folks think that this is something that maybe <coughs> won't apply to certain people. So it was a perfect time to answer this question. Uh, does borrowing money from certain people like friends or family still fall under the securities law? 
Yeah, and yes, it could be. It depends on the circumstance. I mean, the definition, if you look at the definition, a note or a loan is actually smack in there in the definition of a security. So just by, in general, that's going to be a security. Right. Uh, if it's, you know, if you're doing a, you know, there's an exemption, for example, if you're doing a note that's less than nine months, for example. So if I lend you money to go do something for, and you pay me back in six months or whatever, that's not going to be a security. But if you start, people get carried away. If you start what we call fractionalizing, which is like, oh, I'll borrow a little bit from money from you, a little bit of money from Tom, a little bit of money from you know Harry, right. and then raise 200 grand in notes, that is absolutely a security. So again, the structure doesn't matter. The question is, are your investors passive? And obviously in a note scenario, that typically they are passive because they're basically writing you a check and they just expect you to make them, you know, give them an interest payment. So you've got to be really careful. It's the same with when you, if, again, if it's one person, if, if your listeners are really into doing notes, uh, I think you can get away with a lot more if it's just one person. One person gives the note. Ideally, secure it with real estate. That would help you go a long way. Um, but again, if I pick up the phone and call you and say, Mike, I need 100 grand and you lend me 100 grand and I go do a rehab or something, you're going to be fine. But if I call you and three other people and now I've got four people lending me money, that's going to be clearly a security. Right. Okay, cool. Awesome. And you got to make sure that you are following within the the guidelines. So, um, so let's just go right into it. And yeah. if you don't mind. And let's yeah. say, all right, I'm an investor. I'm trying to buy, uh, let's say, a fourplex. And yeah. I want to raise capital from four or five of my closest buddies. Yeah. How do I go about it legally? So, if it, so, that's a, that's a, that's you're right on that borderline. So. If you're doing all, again, if you're doing all the work and your three or four buddies are just writing you a check and then going home, mm -hmm. you're, you're issuing securities. And so now we've got to comply. And you've got to remember there's, unfortunately, there's a compliance cost involved. Mm -hmm. yep. And so when you say a fourplex, I guess it depends on what part of the country you are. Because if you're talking about a fourplex, <laughs> True. you know, in Dallas, Texas or, or Nevada, where you might be able to pick one up for like four or five hundred grand. Uh, and you get a loan on it. And so you really only need a hundred grand or one hundred fifty grand probably isn't going to make sense because your compliance cost it's probably going to be about a 10% loan on that. I mean, your compliance costs usually are around 15 grand. So raising a hundred grand, 150 grand, 200 grand, your compliance costs will usually kill you and it doesn't make sense. Right. So in those scenarios, you either, you know what I tell people when they try and do stuff like that, I would just go buy three of them, right? So if you need, if you need 150 grand to do one fourplex, then go take down three fourplexes and raise 450 grand because the compliance costs will be the same but as a percentage of the amount of money you need, it'll go it's down. Different. It's completely yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be key. Uh, and again, you can, with four of your buddies, you're right on that cusp. Let's, let's get the example of three of your buddies. That might be a little bit safer, but if it's you and three of your buddies and all of your buddies are actively involved in the deal, right? They're all putting in money. You know, you're doing the due diligence. I'm doing the underwriting. You're doing asset management. Like we're all really divvying it up properly. Then you're really not issuing securities. You're just starting a business. Right. right. As long as everybody's active and, and, and pulling their weight, uh, you could argue that you're not issuing a security. But the minute one person gives you a check and goes home and watches TV and expects you to write them a check, you know, that you're going to be you're going to be issuing a security. And again, that applies even if you have one person. You just don't, so don't think it's because there's one person you're going to get around it. Don't think because they're a family member because it's your dad. I mean, yeah, you you typically will rely on the family exemption, I guess, that your dad's not going to sue you if things go wrong. But right. I have seen dads sue kids, and I've seen kids sue dads. So it's not uh, there's no family exemption. Let's put it that way. 
Right, right. That is that's a great point. That's a great yeah. point, and uh, and it's it's something I want to highlight here too. So there's a difference between raising capital like a syndication and a joint venture, right? It's that's the going into business. Yes, although yes, although you got to be careful because a joint venture can absolutely be a security. So the the, the joint venture is really the structure, right? The structure is a joint venture. Um, the way we were describing just now in my head, for example, when you were talking about the fourplex. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking really, I mean, guess you could technically call it a joint venture, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking you're setting up an LLC just like anything else. And you just have four members in the LLC and there are four managing members. Everybody's putting in, you know, maybe everybody puts in 50 grand and, and you, therefore you've got 200 grand together and everybody signs on the loan and you take down a fourplex that's 600 grand or whatever. Right. Uh, that would be a syndication, but you can definitely have joint ventures that are securities um, just like TIC. So a tenant in common arrangement where you own title directly you can do that as a syndication. Again, if one person's doing all the work and the other TIC members are just passive, that's a syndication. Or the TIC can be all acted. You can have four people owning 25% of the property and everybody's doing their, their part. So right. again, the structure is not what dictates whether it's a security. It's how whether you're active or passively involved or if you have any passive investors. Right. That's good. No, I, I love that clarification because yeah. what happens is we have a lot of folks that are trying to start right from the ground level, but yeah, that tends to prevail for almost everyone is the funding, yeah. right? So where do you get that funding? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a challenge, right? I mean, and, and I think you know there was a great um, actually Adam. I don't know if you guys, if your listeners don't follow, they should definitely follow Adam Adams. But he did a great uh, post, I think, a couple days ago on Facebook. And in fact, it's funny today this morning I saw. I follow a little Darren Daly, so I'll do a little Darren Hardy stuff every morning. He was talking about the exact same thing. Um, When you're raising capital, it's really a a process, right? I think a lot of people make the mistake is they wake up one day and they want to go do this and they go take down a property, they put a property in the contract and then they're like, okay, now I got to go find money to go close this deal. I've got 60 days to close. Let me go find the money. And if you're going to do this right, it's really the other way around. You first go find the money. And when you find the money, you're you're really cultivating relationships, Mm. right? You don't just go out there and ask for a bunch of random people for money. You you really, you're cultivating a relationship. It's a process. You need to get to know them. You want to make sure they like, know, and trust, you know, don't like, know, and trust you. Um, And so that by the time you actually get into contract and you're reaching out to these people, it's not the first time they've heard from you the last couple of years, you know, that you've been talking to them, you've been on the phone with them, you've been asking them what they're looking for, if they want to invest, you know, you really want to find out what your investor wants, right? Are they looking for equity? Are they looking for debt? Are they looking for, they have a tax tax problem. So they're looking for something that, that is going to reduce their taxes. Are they looking just for an interest rate, high interest rate? They don't care where it goes. Like just find out what they want and then start, you know, start cultivating those relationships so that when you say, okay, Johnny, so you, if I find you a deal that's within those parameters you talked about, is it okay if I share it with you? And they're going to be like, yeah, that's great. And so when you find that deal, you can send it to them. And so now they know, again, it's not the first time they've heard from you. Um, and just add value, man. That's probably the best way to find people. Yeah. Add value, add value, teach them if they're new, teach them why you think real estate's the greatest asset. And, I'm, and I shouldn't even, I'm, I'm assuming most of my clients, I come from the real estate world. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have to be real estate. It can be anything that you're raising money right. In my world, it's real estate. So people are out there talking about, you know, why real estate is a great asset class compared to the stock market or some other assets. You know, why the Dallas market is the greatest market of all times or, or why mobile home parks are really the greatest, you know, whatever. So just adding value and uh, really finding out what your investors are looking for and cultivating that relationship early. Uh, and it's a continual process. So just because you close on a deal, mm-hmm. I mean, I would argue the best time to be doing these conversations in, in between deals because then 
the person you're talking to doesn't feel like, oh, here it is. Mike's going to ask me for some money. When, when is, oh, when is the question coming? Right. You know, like, right. hey, I have nothing for sale right now. I'm just trying to have a conversation with you and trying to figure out what you're interested in, if you're interested. And then you can go find something that, that meets their needs. There it is. I love that. Adding value to folks. That's, that's, yeah, that's the easiest way, man. I mean, I, I see a lot of people on social media these days trying to pitch their deals. And, and I get that question asked a lot, you know, it's like, you know, what can I do yeah. on social media? Can I pitch my deal? And the answer is pretty much no. <laughs> but <laughs> assuming you're relying on, on, on an exemption that, uh, that prohibits advertising. But, but the best way to, to get new people on social media is to just add value, man. If you add value, capture emails through value add and then cultivate those relationships. That's, that's really how you, you use social media or any media really to, to add to your database. I love that. That was one of the questions that I was going to ask, like a, a myth buster, right? Because I know a lot of people run into that, but of course there are exceptions to that rule, which I think we'll, we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But, but one of the things, one of the other questions I wanted to ask another myth buster is once you've set up that um, compliance paperwork for one deal, yeah. And that transition over to the next, you have to repay for it again. Yeah, absolutely. You have to absolutely have to repay for it because every time, every single time, because the first thing you've got to remember is every single deal is, even if it looks like the exact same deal, it's basically the same apartment building I bought last year and it's across the street in the same market. It's its own unique deal. It's its own unique property. It's got its own issues, its own hair, its own lending. Um, and so you, have a different risks profile. What drives me nuts is there are all these discounted firms that'll just kind of generate paperwork for you and they're basically templated and it's like you pay them five grand and boom, they magically appear with a bunch of docs and it's like, great, but the docs, the purpose of the docs is to make sure the investors are fully aware of all the risks and you're disclosing everything. And so the only way I know how to understand what the risks are in your particular deal is for me to talk to you and ask questions and that's one of the things we do really in detail is when you, when you're putting together a business plan, we spend so much time on the business plan, tearing it apart and, you know, going line by line and asking a thousand questions, a thousand answers, comments and questions. And we get on the phone call with you and we're going back and forth and I'm really trying to pull that information so I can understand your deal. What's unique about your deal. Yes. There's risks on real estate in general, obviously in the market in general. And yeah, we could go into a recession and everything. But yes, but there's going to be certain, you know, maybe you're like, I've been seeing a lot of loans, for example, that are short-term sort of bridge financing where it's like, hey, we're getting a, an 18-month loan and then we're going to refinance in two years or 18 months more permanent. And there's risks involved with that loan, which we yeah. need to disclose. Like what if, you know, we have another 2008 where everything- if it doesn't up. refinance, right. You can't yeah. refinance. Now what do you do? And now you're stuck. And yeah. so you underwrite every deal. So number one, every deal has to have its own separate entity, typically an LLC, primarily because you're going to have different investors in different deals, right? And even if they are technically the same, which it never happens, they're all going to have different percentages anyway. So you would definitely create a brand new, what I call a syndication LLC mm -hmm. to own the particular property. And then you would have a brand new set of documents, uh, a, a unique PPM, a unique operating agreement, a unique, uh, uh, you know, a unique subscription agreement. And again, you, you know, you and I may discuss a different structure for this particular property. That's one of the things we do a lot on the front end is structure deals for people. And maybe this one, you know, the numbers are good enough that you can offer a preferred return, for example, on this particular deal, which you didn't do on the last deal because the last deal didn't have as much meat on the bone and you couldn't afford or the deal just didn't lend itself to give a preferred, but maybe this one's got, you know, it's a better deal. You, you know, you got more value at or whatever. Like I said, every deal is unique. Right. So you, you certainly cannot recycle 
documents. It just in my world, that doesn't even make sense. But I, I know where you're coming from. But but in my world, that makes that makes no sense at all. And I, and right. I mean, it's talking to the rocket lawyers and the legal zooms, you know, out there, right? I mean, they, a lot of people think they can just go and grab a contract written up and just go and make it happen. Yeah. What I would recommend doing on those is, is, and there's another company, I won't mention it, but there's a company that does PPNs too, is, is go read their, their fine print, their sort of terms and conditions. And you'll see very clearly that they are like, hey, we are not lawyers, so please take our documents and go hire a lawyer and have those the lawyer take a look at it because we have, we're not lawyers, right? So just right. You, you get what you pay for. And what I don't understand, to be honest with you, is is number one, the cost involved in a syndication gets paid from the project, number one. Mm-hmm. So yes, you probably have to advance. In most cases, you advance the fees, but then you get reimbursed. But the risk-reward ratio is so out of whack that you're trying, even if you were paying for it, you're trying to save a couple grand here, a couple grand there, but your exposure is, so most of my clients are raising a million dollars, $2 million. So if you're trying to save five grand in exchange for a $2 million exposure, like it just doesn't make any sense, especially when you're not even paying for it, that you're, you know, not your investor, the project is paying for the fees. It just doesn't make any sense to try and cut corners uh, anywhere, whether it's at the syndication level or maybe it's like, hey, I don't want to have a real estate attorney review my docs or review title or push back on stuff and you know, whatever, I'm going to save a few bucks here and not get a real estate attorney. Again, I think your risk reward ratio is so out of whack. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm. No, it makes sense. That definitely makes make sense to make sure that you don't cut those corners. Exactly what you said. Um, so that's, that's phenomenal, yeah. man. Uh, so Mike, let's, let's talk about it real quick. I, I want to make sure I, I, I yeah. Put this in the context. I think I think the way this I describe this will will help people kind of put their minds around it because it can get kind of complicated. Yeah. But I, the way I, I like to explain it will be will be super simple for people, and then you can kind of follow up and where, where you think your listeners will will gain the most value. But once you realize and understand that you are issuing a security, right, and we have to comply with security laws, mm-hmm. there's really only three things that I worry about, or three things that I consider, or that we all consider when dealing with a security. Number one you have to register that security with the SEC or number two, you have to find an exemption to registration or number three, it's illegal. It's that simple. You either register your security, you find an exemption or it's illegal. Clearly you don't want to do anything illegal, but you got to be careful that illegal does not just mean Bernie Madoff stuff, right? It doesn't just mean, you know, you don't want to, obviously you don't, you know, hopefully nobody here is wanting to defraud you know, screw over their investors or whatever, but it can be other things like failure to disclose, failure to put together a PPM, a private place memorandum, maybe getting a little too carried away with your return projections without giving full, the full picture. So there's things we want to worry about, but we'd obviously don't want to do anything illegal, we really don't want to do a registration either because it just takes too much time and it costs too much money, right? If you do a registration, it's going to take, you know, 18, 24 months, six, seven figures. Like you don't have time for that. If you, you're, in, you're trying to close on your fourplex or you're trying to close on a multifamily, you've got 30 days, 60 days, 90 days to close. You don't have time to wait around for a year. Exactly. <laughs> so number two is really where everybody falls into. So everyone's looking for an exemption to registration, which is where I live. That's what I spend all my time on day in and day out is, is finding the right exemptions to registration. And fortunately for us, there's a couple of exemptions that 90 to 95% of the people use. And these are the famous Reg D exemptions that people have probably heard of if, if they've looked into, uh, into syndications. And the two 
even within the Reg D, there's really just two that most people realize, and this is as technical as we're going to get. And that is rule 506B as in boy and rule 506C as in Charlie. 95% of the people will use one of those two exemptions. Um, and there's reasons for that, but that's, that's the good news is that we don't have to go too crazy and trying to figure out, you know, all these complicated exemptions. Yeah, right. No, no, no. I love that. And, and I love how we, how we digress into that because that was one of the questions I was going to ask, you know, can we talk a little bit about the differences between the 506C yeah. and 506B? Yeah. So, so five, let's go through 506B because that's the one that's been around the longest. And that, you know, when I started doing this, that was the only one we had. It actually wasn't even called 506B. It was just called 506, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the big boys, JP Morgan, like the last fund I saw from JP Morgan is like a $1.2 billion fund. Uh, it's just a 506B, nothing fancy, uh, because you can raise an unlimited amount of money, right? So whether you're raising 400 grand for a duplex or you're putting a $1.2 billion fund at JP Morgan, you can raise an unlimited amount of money. Uh, you can actually take a limited amount of non-accredited investors, which is really attractive to first-time syndicators, um, just so nobody gets left behind. An accredited investor is anyone who has a million dollars in net worth, excluding their primary residence, or has earned $200,000 the last couple of years with a reasonable expectation of earning that amount this year. And if they're married, that goes up to three hundred. But you can take up to 35 non-accredited. So when you're starting, you usually have friends, families, you know, your uncle Johnny or whatever, your mom or whatever, and they may not be accredited. And so this exemption allows you to take up to 35 non-accredited, as long as they're sophisticated, but that's something we can deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, the main limitation on a 506B, which, which was around, again, all these years, is that you were not allowed, you are not allowed to advertise or solicit your deal. Right. So no, that's where the Facebook thing something. No going on Facebook or LinkedIn or social media and talking about your deal or really doing anything that drums up excitement for your deal, you know, even a future deal. That's called conditioning the market. Um, there's no going on, you know, like if you had a deal right now, you, you have a podcast, great. You could not, you couldn't be just talking about the deal and Hey, call me. I've got room in my deal. It's closing next week. You know, call, right. you know, call or email me. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't advertise. I mean, I think, I think most people, there's actually no real clear definition of what is advertising. Uh, it's almost like abuse, you know, you'll, you'll know it when you see it, but, uh, you know, putting a, a webinar, promoting a webinar or even a seminar that then pitches a deal. Is also going to be advertised. So just none of that, and also no soliciting. So you can't go to conferences, for example, instead of a booth and start passing like your business plan or something like that. So that's the main prohibition, and that's kind of the main limitation of a of a five hundred six B. It really it's really meant for you know investors that you have an existing relationship, a, a, what's called a, substan- a, a substantive relationship, um, people you know, right? People already in your world. Um, and that was the way it was for many, many years. And uh, back in, it was actually the Jobs Act, uh, I think it was 2012, no, 2000, yeah, 2012. Uh, what years? Yeah, we're, I, don't even know what, I don't know what day it is or what year it is. <laughs> All good. 2012 is when uh, the, 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 Blurs the together, right? Jobs Act, I was going to say 2002, but that's not right. 2012. And then the following year, uh, they came out with 506C. So September 2013, they came out with 506C, which basically is the same exemption except because we just come out of this recession, right? We had this brutal recession in 2008, 2009. There was really no, you know, everything was frozen. And so they passed this law, which was meant to kind of loosen up, you know, the ability of people to raise money. And so they lifted that prohibition against advertising. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden you didn't have to have an existing relationship. You could go, you know, take out an ad in the Super Bowl or on the Goodyear blimp or do a podcast or, you know, go on social media, do whatever. And you'd be allowed to do that under a 506C 
but oh, main the main limitation on the 506c which they added was you could only accept accredited investors accredited investors only and you had to take what's called reasonable steps to verify that they're accredited so you cannot take their word for it with the 506b we typically send out a questionnaire you know the investor checks the box they tell us whether they're accredited or not accredited in general you can rely on that you don't have to do any digging with the 506c though they said hey not only do they have to be accredited you cannot take their word for it essentially you have to do a little bit more digging and most people rely on you know digging up tax returns, write W-2, right. 1099s, a copy of your tax return. If it's net worth, you're looking at bank statements, you know, property valuations, you know, credit report to make sure you don't have any liabilities. Um, it's just a little bit more involved. Now, luckily, there are a lot of services out there, which I highly recommend. I, I think it's crazy for you to, especially if there's somebody you don't know, to start asking them for your, you know, their tax returns to complete strangers. So there are services out there that'll do the verification really inexpensively. It's, you know, on average, I'd say it's about $100 an investor. So again, put that in your budget. You know, if you get 20 investors, it's going to be two grand or something and have somebody else do it. Um, one of the ways actually that's really easy is uh, you can get a CPA verification letter. So if, if the CPA of the investor who obviously has done their tax returns, they know their financial situation. If they write, write it correctly, and I, and I have templates that I like, I kind of insist that they use a template, but if they draft it correctly, then you can rely on that verification from the CPA. Uh, you can do it also from an attorney and from a broker dealer or somebody with a license, but typically the CPA is the way to go. And then for those that either don't have CPAs or the CPA is a little bit, you know, hesitant to do that for you, then that's when you kind of go the route of, you know, pulling tax returns or whatever other method to verify. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's, that's awesome. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and I, and I'm really, really glad that you really deep dive those two differences because uh, that's a common question, right? Yeah. In the investment community is what is this? Like, what, yeah. what's the difference and what are my restrictions? How do I, yeah. I've got a, I think it's in my reply. I've got a, I've got a little, um, what do you call these things? Um, a little chart or a little graphic, uh, whatever these things are called that kind of differentiate here, the, the difference between a 506B and 506C. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, um, I wrote an article out maybe a couple of years ago called, um, the eight critical steps to practicing safe syndications, eight critical Ooh. steps to practicing safe syndication. And within that, it's obviously talks about a bunch of stuff, but within that there's a graphic that goes with the differences between a 506B and a 506C. So if anybody wants to reach out to you and then, you know, I'm happy to share that with them. Yeah. I would, I would love that. You know, if we could, if we could totally share that with our audience, that'd be great. Um, you know, if, if that's okay with you. Yeah. If you wanna, yeah. You can, I don't have anything fancy. If you just want to email, just email us at team, team at premierlawgroup.net team, T E A M at premierlawgroup.net. Uh, and I'll, I'll just send it to you. I'll somebody in my team send it. Thanks. Yeah. And we'll drop it in the show notes page oh. for folks to go and take a, yeah. take advantage. And then, you know, get in contact with you and your team, Mauricio. So do you mind just giving us a little uh, promotion on what you guys do? And I mean, you already kind of did the Yeah. Time. So yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, that, that's, that's a good email. So if you want to just drop me a line and request the report and then just, I'm happy to hop on a call and awesome. talk a little bit. Uh, I just started a YouTube channel just Mauricio Raul and not too many videos on there, but I'm going to start adding some stuff there. And so if you right. appreciate a subscribe there, that'll help me out a little bit. And, uh, you know, website, premierlogger.net. And, uh, and then I do a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm really going to dial up the social media too on, on Facebook. So if you want to connect via Facebook, do me a favor though. If you connect on me on Facebook, drop me a message too. And just, just let me know you listen to the podcast uh, because I 
typically don't, if I'm, if I'm looking, I don't really recognize, you know, the person or something I may not accept. But if you just say, Hey, I was on the, on the, uh, listen to you on the active duty podcast. Then I know, you know, where you came from and I'll, we'll definitely become friends. And that way you can see all my content that I drop on Facebook. All right, guys, that's valuable. Make sure that you, uh, make sure that you, uh, you, uh, drop a note in and make sure that you say you heard it from, from here. Um, all right, Maurice. So thanks so much. I got four questions for you yeah, in our awesome. bonus round. So here it is. What is your favorite book? Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Rich Dad Poor Dad. Like uh, life changing, but I've got a lot of great books. If you know, what I mean, The Slight Edge is another great book that I love. That's good. Uh, yeah, I forgot that is good. The author is a couple years ago. Very similar to the Compound Effect from Darren Hardy. They're almost mm. they're almost identical books actually. But I think um, I know The Slight Edge was written first. So I give more kudos to The Slight Edge. But Rich Dad Poor Dad and The Slight Edge are probably my two. Top. And the one thing, by the way, sorry, I read a lot. The one oh, thing that's good. I mean, we see your library behind you, so that's <laughs> yeah, giving it away. But that's cool. We'll definitely yeah. have links to those books in the show notes page. So make yeah. sure you check them out, guys. And question number two: Yeah, uh, who is your biggest hero and why? Wow, who is my biggest? I've got you know, I've got to say, man, you know, nobody really affected my at least my business career more than Robert Kiyosaki because of that book he wrote and just the ability to change my mindset. And uh, I've had the pleasure now over the years to get to know him a little bit. And, um, you know, I just saw him a couple of weeks ago in Dallas and, uh, yeah. So I would say he definitely, if it wasn't for his book, honestly, I, I, you know, if it wasn't for his book, I wouldn't have met the real estate guys. And there's a long chain of commands there that eventually led me to my wife. So <laughs> if it wasn't for that nice. book, me. <laughs> that is awesome, man. Yeah. Well, all right. Perfect. Perfect. So Robert Kiyosaki for the win. Question number three, what do you like to do for fun? Um, I, well, I spend a lot, I love spending time with my family. That's kind of my main thing, but uh, I also love, I'm a big wine drinker. So Ooh, I love to socialize with okay. wine. Some people might even call me a wine snob, which I yeah. argue with you on that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I love getting together. You know, I was just spent last weekend actually up with a, up in a cabin with a, a good family friend, uh, a couple with a couple kids. So just being around people and sharing some great wine, is probably a great evening for me. Yeah. Nice. All right. So yeah. sommelier in your future, maybe? No, I thought about doing something like that, but yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah. Nah, okay. Sounds good. All right, all right. Awesome. And then uh, last question. If you have three nuggets of wisdom to drop on those who are just getting started, what would it be? Wow. These are tough questions, man. I should have been Yeah, more- man. Um, I think number one is we talked a little bit about already is lead with value. Um, in anything you do, whether it's business or raising capital, I think if you lead with value, you'd be good. Uh, on specifically on the syndication, again, I think we touched on it again. Is uh, just be a be a farmer, not a hunter. Mm. Uh, so don't go out there and just look for your next kill. You know, f- you know, nurture those relationships. You know, my motto, which I stole from the real estate guys, is relationships for life. So you want to just make sure you do that from day one and just nurture, and I think good things will happen. Uh, and number two, the re- number three is, uh, you know, don't forget what's important in life. Uh, remember what you're doing it for, whatever your reason is. In my case, it's, it's the family. And so don't lose sight of that. Uh, you know, ultimately figure out what you want to do and make sure that what you're doing now is actually congruent what you're ultimately wanting to accomplish. Right. I love that. Absolutely love it. Mauricio, thank you so much for your time. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Make guys, make sure that you reach out to him and his team and, uh, and go out there and take some action. Love it. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you. Take care. Outstanding. That was an awesome episode. Thanks so much to our special guests. And thanks to you for listening. 
If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, make sure you go and do that. Or schedule a call with us by texting ADPI to 444-999 or checking out our website at www.activedutypassiveincome.com to find out how you can get started on your financial freedom journey today. I'll see you guys next week.